This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You are tuned in to the Foul Weather Podcast, the forecast to your next successful hunt. Coming to you from the home office, Jack's Reef, New York. The success of the Duck Hunters organization that advocates for us all? What is a mild stretched polar vortex? That rain that the Southeast needed? And your migration forecast? All that and more on this week's episode of the Foul Weather Podcast. We thank our every week listeners. You know who you are. Those that never miss a single migration forecast episode each Monday morning. Y'all are as ate up as me about ducks, duck biology, and duck migration. You know where the ducks are at before the ducks know where they are at. Think about that. You know where the ducks are at before the ducks know where they are at. Our dedicated weekly listeners can pick the best days to hunt because the Foul Weather Podcast forecasts fresh ducks hot from the north. Shoot the ducks from the north before they know where they're at. I'm your host, Dr. Mike, coming to you from the home office in Jack's Reef. Still stale ducks. But another stretched polar vortex. But is it stretched enough to cause duck migration? As a reminder, we produce the only duck migration forecast available. All other migration reports are just that, reports. They tell you where ducks were yesterday or very often last week. We use mathematical models to forecast duck migration each week from October to January for the Central, Mississippi, and Atlantic flyways. We drop episodes each Monday morning for the next week so you know what days are best to hunt fresh ducks. So as predicted by the Fall Weather Podcast, duck hunting last week got really stale in most areas throughout uh, the United States. If you had some great hunts, you know, kudos to you. But for most of us, it was a super slow week with warm temperatures, little to no snow, and a lot of southerly winds. The highlight of the week was really that rain, rain, rain for the southeast U.S. You know, the start of that El Nino trend, I think, uh, which we hope continues, right? That should fill some impoundments and help kind of provide new habitat for ducks to move around a bit. Some of you probably had some good shooting just because, you know, ducks don't have many choices this year. It's been, you know, dry, 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 super dry. But while okay for duck hunters for a short time, it can also lead to stale ducks that learn to kind of sit out your guns and feed at night or feed on off hunting hours or, you know, spend their time more so on on refuges uh, when there's that much pressure and there's just not a lot of choices around. Again, though, as predicted by the Foul Weather Podcast, we didn't think these rains uh, that are expected to be produced by El Nino conditions in the southeast U.S. would really manifest themselves in, until sometime around the new year, well, you know, which we, we got pretty close to hitting on the head. Um, thankfully, some folks got a good dousing of rain this weekend from Alabama over to Florida and up the east coast producing abundant habitat for hungry ducks. This was kind of two systems, a trough that came out of the west that brought some snow to the far west near the Rockies, and then rain kind of through Oklahoma, um, northern Texas, across to the east. This was then joined by a strong low-pressure system 
moving up from the Gulf over Florida and then kind of up the East Coast. Some of the driest areas, though, in Mississippi got, you know, relatively missed compared to the Far East. But let's hope in the coming weeks that we continue to get another system or two on this. What we'd expect is this wet El Nino pattern for the southeast to produce some really cool habitat for for ducks and maybe some new places for duck hunters as well. So I hope everybody was safe out there that was in the rain and, and high winds. I mean, if you work to hunt kind of flooded, flooded rivers to find ducks, uh, you know, be safe out there, my friends. More later in our migration forecast about a mild stretched polar vortex for the east. But right now, I've got to tell you about why everyone should be a member of Delta Waterfowl. And next week, we'll cover why everyone should be a member of Ducks Unlimited. Both of these great organizations have done a ton for duck conservation and duck hunters. There's going to be a bunch of naysayers out there that are either in the Delta camp or the DU camp and and won't listen. I guess that's fine, but you should. This is not an advertisement. You know, we don't have any sponsorship from either of these organizations, but, you know, rather I've worked and the Fall Weather Podcast team has worked with, with both these organizations in several capacities. And we just simply understand the good that they do and the hardworking people and volunteers behind both organizations, right? Um, the only reason I'm starting with Delta and we'll cover Ducks Unlimited next week is because, you know, I'm trying to stay non-biased. And I just went in alphabetical order, right? Delta comes before ducks. So that's all it is. So we certainly are not going to retrace all of the history of Delta Waterfowl, but we will provide some basic information on the start of this great organization. Delta traces its roots back to about, you know, 1911. That's debatable by some is, you know, maybe it was later and such, but you know, the idea of Delta and everything um, really started around 1911, so been around for a while. Initially, when James Ford Bell of General Mills started his effort at the Delta Marsh in Manitoba, he brought Eldo Leopold there to Delta, and then Eldo Leopold brought forth Albert Hochbaum to be the first scientific director of Delta. A lot of the first years were really meant and focused on hatching ducks at Delta and trying to replace birds at a two-to-one you kind of putting two birds out there for every one that James Ford Bell shot. The idea was to replace what you shot at a two-to-one ratio. Delta flourished as a place of scientific discovery, surrounded by the idea of understanding waterfowl ecology and management. Really, at this time, it it was you know it was basics like about you know how many eggs did different species lay. They learned about phylopatria that ducks come back to the same place, and so Hochbaum wrote uh, about a shoveler that was traveling thousands of miles south, probably down somewhere into the Mississippi Alluvial Valley, the MAV, and then back to the north to Delta in Manitoba each year, and was nesting on the same square foot year after year, right? We didn't know that that hens had this capacity to even travel back to the same exact spot like we do now, right? A lot of this we take for granted had to start somewhere. They learned the basics of waterfall ecology, how these birds lived and died and how they thrived or didn't. What drove James Ford Bell was the lack of canvasbacks at the Heron Lake Club that Bell, he was a member and traveling from Minneapolis by train to that club in western Minnesota each weekend. 
and he'd you know bell had seen this decline in canvas backs and, and wanted to help and he was really deeply passionate about duck hunting kind of the same sentiment you know that same feeling that drives delta waterfowl and delta waterfowl members to this day in those early years of Delta Waterfall, discovery of basic waterfall needs occurred at basically an exponential rate at, at the Delta Marsh. Hochbaum and his students cataloged much of this information in a book that every duck hunter should read. It's called The Canvas Back on a Prairie Marsh. I found this book myself by chance one day as an undergraduate student and along with a Sand County Almanac by Elda Leopold, who was the professor that spawned you know albert hochbaum um he was albert hochbaum's mentor those two books the canvas back on a prairie marsh and a sand county almanac catapulted really my interest and then career as a waterfall scientist and kind of love for the duck marsh as an avid duck hunter i'd say it's without pause that i wouldn't even be here as your host of the foul weather podcast without reading these two great books Hochbaum also wrote Travels and Traditions of Waterfowl, which looked more closely at the habits and migration patterns of waterfowl, whereas the canvas back on a prairie marsh was mostly focused on breeding ecology. You can still find both these books without a problem. Search them on, on Amazon. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if they're both out of print. Canvas back on the prairie marsh is much less common uh, than... Uh, uh, Sand County County Almanac, but you can you can find these as used books just about everywhere still. So Bell's vision was to hatch canvasbacks at the Delta Duck Station and replenish the skies, right? But you know he also did know that raising ducks from eggs to flight had its limitations, and it was kind of but a band aid in the larger scheme of conserving duck duck habitat for ducks across the you know kind of greater prairie landscape. The dirty 30s came next. Drought and disease really plagued ducks, and their populations plummeted on the prairies. It was at this time, really, that Delta noticed that they could play a major role in, in really understanding drivers of duck populations, and their science program kind of went into full gear. As the years progressed, and okay, we are certainly skipping an abundance of great history. If you want all the details, it's cataloged in a book by Paul Waite, it's called Delta Waterfowl, How the Duck Hunters Organization Shaped Waterfowl Conservation in North America. If you want the long history of it, I mean, we would be here for hours if I went through all of it. So we are definitely skipping an abundance of great history and great people in between. But we really want to cover the basics of the roots of the organization, the science they produce, the policy, the advocacy for hunters, and, and why you should be a member. So Delta Waterfall Foundation was officially formed, you know, years later and became a beacon really for graduate student research on breeding duck ecology. The Delta Field Station at Delta Marsh in Manitoba really formed the flagship location for the organization, but work was now conducted throughout the U.S. and Canadian prairies and beyond, actually. Um, I myself started my career as a waterfall scientist when I was between my junior and senior year of college in my undergraduate. Um, I worked in Eglin, North Dakota, uh, in Minnedosa, Manitoba over about a month and a half period. I worked under the direction of Frank, uh, Dr. Frank Rower, uh, who continues with the organization, and, and I worked with several graduate student projects and really got a taste of what it was life, like to kind of do 
do duck research on the big open prairie. Over the years, Delta has spawned just an abundance of great waterfall biologists. Many, many of these folks work throughout North America for federal, state, you know, nonprofits, and, and a ton of university entities as well. Because of my background, that is among kind of the greatest benefits I've seen from Delta Waterfall, the training of the next generation of waterfall and wetland scientists, conservationists, and managers that kind of make the duck machine, the duck harvest, the duck management, the duck conservation machine in North America tick. But Delta is so much more than just training students. A few years back, Delta actually hit some I don't know. I think I'm going to call them financial issues. I might get this wrong. They sold the Delta field station in in Manitoba. It's now owned by a very staunch Delta supporter, John Childs. Delta kind of moved operations to the U.S. in Bismarck, um, where they've greatly rebranded their organization and grown really substantially in in, in their capacity in the last decade or so. I'd say above all, Delta separates themselves a bit from Ducks Unlimited mission, and they're and they're focusing on supporting duck hunting and duck hunter recruitment, retention, and reactivation. It's called R3. Delta built a wonderful and tangible brand for the everyday duck hunter, right? Now known as the Duck Hunters Organization, it is my opinion that no other organization on the planet looks out for the interest of duck hunters more than Delta Waterfall. I'd say among the greatest threats to duck conservation and duck hunting culture on our continent and probably beyond is is apathy, right? A- apathy built by by a lack of duck hunters. The Fowl Weather Podcast team really believes that without duck hunting, much of the wetland conservation and action to sustain wild places for wildlife and people, well, that that would have never happened. Non-hunters are just not as passionate. If there's a non-hunter on here right now, which I doubt there's many of you, you're kind of rolling your eyes at that. But, you know, if if you had stepped up and, and found a way to put dedicated funding from your institutions towards conservation, we might be in a better place. But, you know, we all know that, that non-hunters have kind of little, little to show for kind of decades of lip flapping for the most part. Most recently, Delta Waterfalls really rejuvenated their research program funded by fantastic uh, uh, supporters and philanthropy. They now work in all four flyways. They still primarily focus on breeding waterfowl research that's applied to waterfowl conservation and kind of harvest management policy, but they have spread their wings a little bit, haha, pun intended. Uh, my own lab at, at ESF, uh, the College of Environmental Science and Forestry here in, in Syracuse, uh, New York, has uh, partnered with Delta and the Atlantic Flyway on several projects. Many of my colleagues also have worked with Delta Waterfall in the U.S. and Canada to advance really waterfall conservation efforts, right? In the in the all the sciences with the duck hunter in mind, right? These these great science projects across duck country. Think about this: these great science projects that give us information to conserve waterfall, enhance the capacity to sustain duck hunting culture. They also train the next generation of leaders to kind of to sustain that culture of duck hunting in the U.S. and beyond. Really of special note, Delta has become a super strong force advocating for duck hunter interests. They push for greater access for quality duck hunting, look to remove archaic laws that don't allow duck hunting on Sundays in some states, advocate for expanding waterfall hunting on national wildlife refuges, which are increasingly managed by non-hunters that don't see the benefits that duck hunters themselves have brought to the national wildlife refuge system through 
you know, that nonprofit support um, for wetland restoration on national wildlife refuges and nearby lands, and the application of duck stamp funds that are used directly to purchase national wildlife lands, uh, national wildlife refuge lands themselves. Delta has great, um, I'd say, substantial superior support for some key from some key donors um, that that helped start the University Hunt program that introduces university students to the duck hunting culture. I'd say too long if we had college graduates entering the conservation workforce without an appreciation for the history of game species conservation and the role of waterfall biologists as leaders for conservation of all species. Right, the Delta waterfowl. University Hunt Program aims to introduce university students to hunting to ensure that professionals entering the wildlife field have an appreciation for the role of hunting in funding conservation efforts as an, and as an opportunity to understand just the culture of waterfall hunting. As future wildlife professionals, it's really vital that our students understand the waterfall hunting culture and the role that waterfall hunters have played in conserving wetlands and wildlife wild wild places, not wildlife places, but wild places for us all. To date, this is super impressive. There are 103 university hunt programs at universities throughout the U.S. and Canada. In 2019, there were only four. So this this program has really gone exponential. Texas alone, right, has 20 universities that are involved in this and introducing students to that culture of duck hunting and its important role for us all. But don't forget that this program also exists at places like Yale, right? Yale University has a Delta Waterfall University hunt program. In the state of New York, if you all want to think about how you think about New York as a real liberal place, I mean, you've heard me. I grew up in rural New York. I teach at a university that has students from the city but also from very rural corners of New York. Um, And New York has three of these university hunt programs at their universities in New York, including one um, that I help facilitate. All right, so if you have interest in hosting a university hunt program at your local university or know of students that really would be willing to work to help host a program at their university, you can contact Stephen Sowell. S-O-W-E-L-L at Delta. You can just look him up. I'm not giving his email address or anything like that out. But they're still building the program. It's continuing to grow. Students that qualify are those that have never hunted or have hunted but never hunted waterfowl to kind of get new students into this. Make sure that our students leaving universities are not ending up working for state wildlife agencies or the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service without some knowledge and appreciation for the waterfowl hunting, the duck hunting culture in this country. In January, the Fall Weather Podcast team will actually be hunting with Aiden Flores in Texas, who's now uh, the R3 coordinator for Delta for the state of Texas, uh, where he works with all those 20 uni- 20 some universities. Um, he's also a prior graduate student in my waterfall lab at ESF. So it's pretty cool. We'll, we're going to interview Aiden as part of the kitchen conversations. We're going to record some shoots with him in the marsh and bring his Delta and kind of duck hunting message to the fall weather podcast, you know, in the kind of in the coming months um, once we get that one recorded. So what is Delta to me, to the Foul Weather Podcast team? It's waterfall science to inform waterfall conservation and management. It's policy that advocates for duck hunters like no other organization. 
And it's R3, ensuring that the next generation continues to value the substantial successes that have occurred for us all because of duck hunters. All right, so there's going to be haters, but don't listen to them. Delta is a great organization that does great work for duck hunters. So does Ducks Unlimited. We can all find at least $100 or so each year in our pockets to support these two great organizations. Here's the thing, though. When the migration goes wrong and ducks don't show up at southern latitudes, Delta along with DU, I've heard this from these folks, um, Delta along with DU have to fend off a giant pile of unsubstantiated claims like, you know, they think that the people think that they just help wealthy landowners grow corn and hold ducks up north. We, Oh, my goodness. This couldn't be further from the truth. Like, what's the benefit of that to anyone? Right. Like, that is not a thing that's happening at any measurable scale whatsoever. We're going to cover this topic in mid-January. Maybe I'll do it. We might do it. I don't know. Between January and February, maybe at the end of season. We'll find a good spot for it. It's going to be called the corn episode and really bring light to some of the super naive comments that come from duck hunters about corn and and flooded corn. So hang in there. It's going to be entertaining and informative, just just like everything we do at the Fall Weather Podcast. That's our aim is to kind of entertain and, and inform at the same time. All right, that's a quick look at why all of us should be members of Delta Waterfall Foundation and you really support their message as the as the Duck Hunters organization. Uh, we'll certainly rinse and repeat this topic next year again, uh, give you updates and progress on Delta, uh, on, on their focus on supporting ducks and, and the duck hunting culture. On to this week's migration forecast and more on that mild, mild, the, the, the key word here is mild stretched polar vortex. It's going to bring some cold to the eastern U.S. So the question would be, did it turn out cold enough? Uh, unfortunately, no. Like there's almost no snow in the forecast either east of the Rockies this coming week. My bet right now is noted earlier in the, you know, on the on the podcast is that we're probably not going to have a white Christmas in, in most areas. The problem in an El Nino year is that when cold air tries to push out of the Arctic into the U.S., it often hits a super strong west to east jet stream kind of coming off that, you know, the warm Pacific. And it just moves cold air off the northeast coast of North America and generally keeps us warmer in the upper Midwest, Great Lakes and northeast. That place where ducks, especially mallards, just want to ball up this time of year and not move south. Probably why Mississippi isn't seeing a lot of a lot of mallards, right? In my expert opinion, it's going to take a very strong polar vortex disruption to make another kind of cold, cold, cold January event happen. So throughout duck country, we're really looking at another stale week. Um, I just report the news. I don't make it, folks. We'll hit the highlights right here off the bat at this time, though. In the east, I'd focus on Tuesday and Wednesday at mid-latitudes when nighttime temperatures are, you know, decreasing. Might make local ducks need to feed a bit more. You know, also, considering that recent flooding from heavy range, you might find some good field shoots of ducks. A lot of these mallards now that we've been bumping into and seeing are really trying to concentrate not as much in the marshes anymore, they're hitting the carbs, and if they can find some wet spots in cornfields, that seems to be where people are having some success with, with ducks um, at northern to kind of mid-latitudes. Farther west in the Midwest, shoot kind of for the same days, but it's also been super dry. So if you've been shooting the same ducks over and over again, maybe, get, maybe kind of give them till Wednesday for a shoot if you, 
if you've already hit them on this last weekend here, right? Farther west, I'm telling you, it's just warm. Um, there's not much to be done about it. Um, as far west as and north as Montana, almost on the Canadian border, highs are in the 40s all week. Yeah, it gets down to freezing at night, but think about that. Highs are in the 40s all week. It's dry. There's not snow cover. If there's rivers open, right, these mallards, they can field feed. We're going to continue to see a trickle of our early ducks, right? Our widgeon, our green wings, our pintails, our shovelers. A lot of those birds right now, though, because they do tend to move early and we've had a few cold fronts, they are likely on a good number of them, not all of them, are on their terminal areas. So now it just becomes uh, weather, local weather, rain as to how they move around and how much pressure they get. So, you know, mix things up. Try to leave some places quiet for a few days. If you've got, say, say you're in the MAV and you've got some a club on WRP land, um, you know, make sure and really work at rotating those areas. Scout hard. Find where you've got birds using areas and rotate your shooting so you can kind of minimize some of that pressure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So kind of here's the summary of what I think is going on, at least for mallards. A lot of people are complaining about not seeing them. It's not my sense that the mallard population is anywhere dismal. Yes, it was down. Breeding population was down a bit. But we did have some really good brood rearing and, and nesting conditions. So I think we did well with that. So I don't really feel like mallards are just like substantially plummeting or anything. Um, so don't don't get into that kind of rhetoric with, with people that, oh, the, the surveys must be wrong. There's no mallards. So last week, Forbes Biological Station, um, Havana, uh, Illinois, flew the Mississippi and Illinois rivers. Uh, December 6th, they flew. And, and their their comment, Josh Osborne specifically, I think, who flies that and does the blog now, was wondering where are all where where'd all the mallards go because they lost them, right? So, you know, the Foul Weather Podcast answer to that, fuck, they're everywhere, right? We're at a time of season when ducks have just been able to start to feed out some areas and are now kind of moving on. And remember that moving on doesn't automatically mean south. They often kind of, they can move east, they can move west up rivers off the Mississippi in search of food. And I think maybe even times they're moving back north. We've been mild enough. I don't like the term reverse migration. Does it happen? Yeah. It's kind of more like a trickle or a random walk of birds just chucking around trying to find food, right? And some of them move a bit north, but they don't go like way, way north most of the time. What's unfortunate, though, is as these ducks run out of food, there might not be, you know, much of more of it out there if we continue to stay really dry, especially in the Midwest. That El Nino wet that we're going to get is going to be in the southeast, but it's not going to be in that upper Midwest region. In fact, that's probably going to stay really, really dry. So as another example, the state of Mississippi just put out their waterfall survey report, and they're looking at 68% less ducks at this time of year compared to their five-year average. And that number is even worse for mallards, which are about 75% below the long-term average. Whoa. Ouch. It's just a it's a tough year all around, folks, right? But right now, mallards are from Montana to the Canadian Maritimes in the east to the mid-latitudes in the east. 
some but few in the deep south of Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. So if you have ducks, good for you. But there are no real concentrations right now like some years. This is real typical of kind of an El Nino year with dry conditions where no place right now is great for, for a duck. Also remember that some seasons are actually closing at northern latitudes and ducks are still on these areas because it's just been a pretty mild year. You know, so there's going to be no pressure to move them on. The only hope is to have a good cold front in January now to make them move at least one more good time to push them, push them, push them. As winter progresses, I think the best we can hope for is rain and floodwaters that redistribute ducks, which will be good for the ducks and duck hunters if you follow them where they're going. Again, if you have, you know, if you have ducks, good for you. It's definitely not common everywhere this year, and I'm guessing in a really dry year and in dry areas where ducks don't have many choices, maybe some of them are taken on the chin. You know, that that place and time for a duck is, you know, that that taking it on the chin when they don't have a lot of choices and it's dry is kind of also why we have refuges. So hopefully refuges are holding a few birds because we want to send them back strong, right? Um, when they have few choices, it, it, it's it's also great to give them a chance to not get shot, right? Remember that. Here's some sage advice, some sage comment. No duck wants to get shot. I mean, think about that for a second. We have to send some of them back strong, and no duck wants to get shot. All right, folks, so that's it. Stale ducks again for everyone, and likely even getting a little worse on this coming week than it was the week before. We need a good polar vortex disruption, uh, but that's not really in sight from the climatologist I've been chatting with and, and following. If you got it, uh, use that you know new water. If you got that rain, use that new water on the landscape. Um, find some local ducks that have freshly moved into new areas and give them hell. Um, I'd say do this about midweek. Tuesday, Wednesday are likely kind of your best bets for good days in the Mississippi and Atlantic flyways this week. All right. Also, keep your eyes out. Uh, we'll be releasing our first episodes of the Kitchen Conversations and the In the Marsh series, which are conversations with duck hunters in duck country and raw, mic'd up conversations and shoots throughout duck country, USA. Spread the word about the Foul Weather Podcast. We produce the only duck migration forecast available. Ducks are going to move. They're going to migrate. Follow us to find out when and where. Remember to share, follow, and rate us for free. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and Instagram. We really appreciate if you take the time to rank the Foul Weather Podcast, and we thank you for your support. Also, look us up on the web at foulweather.co, where you can find episode links, recipes, and additional information about how to support the Foul Weather Podcast. We are the forecast to your next successful hunt. Thanks for listening, and as always, may your skies be filled and shoot straight, my friends. 